So tonight we have um, our fourth and final part in this little talk series I'm giving on the new evangelization, trying to introduce various themes from um, the last four, if not five, popes uh, on the new evangelization. Talked about what the new evangelization is in general. I've talked about how the process of somebody coming to faith um, happens. So that if we are understanding it in others and understanding how it can be deepened in ourselves, we can also get some idea of how we can help the process. But tonight, um, tonight's talk, Welcoming Back the Lapsed, has, a, in a sense, a much more specific focus. And I would guess that for a great many of us here, this is a very personal topic that I would imagine everybody in this room has somebody close to them that is in this category. Um, so it matters, and it matters to us personally. Um, so obviously it's good that we are here tonight thinking, no doubt, about individuals that we know and love. But if I can also encourage you, in a sense, to broaden your thoughts, not just to be thinking about an individual you care about, but to be thinking in general so that we can be thinking about how our parish might be affected, might be transformed, might be tweaked, if we were to have a greater awareness of how we could be helping those that are currently lapsed. So I'm going to start with a statistic. Now, I know lots of people don't like Americans, um, <laughs> or, or the fact that you're having to read an American book. Um, but uh, the Americans have money, and there are lots of them, and they've done studies of things that our little English church hasn't. Um, so I'm going to start with a statistic that's in Sherry Waddell's book that most of you are joining the groups for, with two statistics here, actually. The first, what is America's largest denomination? And what is America's second largest denomination? Any ideas? And second? Muslim. Lapsed Catholics. So, the, so that even though there are loads, even though there are loads of Baptists and other things in America, actually the number of lapsed Catholics is larger than all of them, which is actually a, a frightening statistic. Um, in some ways, um, it's almost encouraging to see that there are twice as many practicing as lapsed, because we can sometimes see in our families and things and think that the majority don't practice. Um, but the fact that America's second largest denomination is lapsed Catholics, I'd imagine it's something similar here, um, gives us an indication, actually, there's a big percentage of people that we need to be thinking about in this regard. So not just our own family and friends that we might think of. I want to point out to you, though, um, what I think is an encouraging American phenomenon. Um, Americans, <laughs> as we know, have no sense of proper grammar, so they're always just reinventing a new word. Um, so they've introduced this word called reverts. Um, so you all know what a convert is. Well, there are reverts. So what are converts, what are reverts? It's got an image here of somebody kind of lonely walking in a church door. Um, 
coming in as a stranger. Well, a convert comes to the faith from the outside and comes to the church from the outside. A revert is someone who is returning. And they might be returning from a, in a number of different ways. Might be returning to faith in general and then coming to church. They might have had some kind of faith continually, but returning to the church or returning to the practice of the faith in some way. But this category, this word, um, the fact that there is a whole category, a whole industry of this in America, is in itself, I think, a very encouraging phenomenon. Um, there are a few books. If you're curious, you can have a look. I've got some here on the table. Um, there's a whole load of good books. Um, these are a few of the better ones, in my opinion. Um, I'm going to be largely drawing on this book called When They Come Home, Ways to Welcome Returning Catholics. Um, but the fact that there are loads of these books just on this phenomenon is in itself, I think, encouraging. Now, you may remember when I was talking about the new evangelization in general, I did point out that the primary focus of the new evangelization, when John Paul II and Pope Benedict were kind of defining terms, it's those who were with us but aren't anymore. On one level, that's in terms of nations, primarily Western Europe that was once Christian and now pretty much isn't. But with that, even in our own generation, those who were with us but are no longer. So yes, we're also thinking about those who've never had any contact with Christ, but this is our kind of primary target category. So to quote, um, this is a, a document for priests, but obviously applies more widely. The new evangelization refers above all, but not exclusively, to the churches founded long ago, where there are many who, although baptized in the Catholic faith, have abandoned the practice of the sacraments, or even the faith itself. So when the popes have been talking about the new evangelization, it's not that the lapsed are kind of related, actually, they're at the forefront of this. So what I'm going to look at in my talk tonight is four, four questions here. Why do people lapse? Why do people return? and what we can do to help people return, and what we can do to be more welcoming as a community when people do return. So first, to consider the question why people lapse. And obviously there isn't just one answer to this, there are many answers, um, but there are certain common answers. What have I said here? That we need to know why people lapse because you can't be part of the solution unless you see the problem and the problem's varied and therefore has varied solutions. So there isn't just one course that we put on and that solves the thing. Um, there's a whole varied package of things we need to be changing. So why do people lapse? Well, four visual, uh, three visual images here. Um, and I've said, a bad experience of the church. So, the angry nun with a ruler who beat you, um, the grumpy priest, uh, the parent who shouts at you about religion. Um, 
that in its various forms, a bad experience of the church is one of the reasons people lapse. Certainly one of the reasons people give for why they've lapsed. Um, another reason people lapse. We've got two visual images here, both suggesting the same thing, just drifting. That lots of people don't actually make a decision. They just kind of drift into lapsing. So the same way that dead wood drifts downstream and you can kind of struggle to respond to the alarm clock. You don't make a decision to not wake up, but you just kind of don't get around to it. And before you know it, one Sunday is left to the next Sunday, and you've not just missed twi Mass twice, but you've kind of drifted into being a lapsed Catholic. And there are many people that this is how it happens, that they don't make a conscious decision, they kind of drift into it. Another very different reason why people lapse is ignorance. Um, I've said here, religious ignorance, never knowing Christ in the first place and never knowing what the church really believes. That often as a priest, I'm kind of come across this, that people who actually somehow might have gone through the, the system, through Catholic schools, through a catechetical program, but somehow at the end of it, they still don't seem to have ever known who Jesus was. So not having made a conscious decision to reject him, but somehow never really knowing what they've come away from. So ignorance is another different but large category of why people lapse. Um, can you all see this little cartoon? Not going to church because of hypocrites is like not going to the gym because of the fat people. Um, and if you do go to the gym, um, my local GP signed me up when I registered here. Got one free class, um, which isn't enough to transform my life. Um, um, but, you know, that's, that would be a silly reason to not go to the gym because the people that are there aren't fit. And yet that's something similar that people say about church. I don't go to church because they're all hypocrites. Um, and I've put this in a category of many and varied bogus reasons. Um, that there are a lot of different kind of reasons that aren't really very good, but people do trot out. Another reason, uh, protest against Catholic teaching, for example, on sex. Um, and there are obviously a lot of people in this category that they've bought into the modern lifestyle, the modern image, um, and because the church and what it teaches about sex in particular is so far removed from the modern lifestyle, they therefore leave the church. Um, and this sometimes gets expressed explicitly, sometimes not, but this is another reason why people lapse. So let's consider the opposite question. Well, those are reasons, and as I said, those are very varied reasons, and some are in some people, some are in others. Um, 
Well, given that people do come back, why do they revert? <coughs> so you remember the first image I showed you had a nun, a priest, and an angry parent. Well, oddly enough, it's the same reasons people often come back for. A good nun, a good priest, a good parent. <coughs> that a good experience of the same things that drive people away can actually be what brings them back. Um, which is a hopeful thing as well, um, if you, you know, think about it. So the decision time, um, deciding to stop drifting, maybe when a child is born, maybe when your children need the sacraments. I'm sure we've all seen this phenomenon, that um, somebody has a child, and even though somehow religion wasn't important enough in their life, they realized that important, religion is important for their child. Um, and that they want their child baptized, and they want things for their child. And often different kind of crunch decision times in people's lives can bring people um, back to the practice of the faith. And as we all know, that they, you know, there are many different things that will treasure trigger it, but there will be times in people's lives that are what bring them back. <clears throat> Different reason, uh, I've said here, stumbling across a truth of the faith, maybe an old leaflet or an overheard conversation. An image there I've got <coughs> of, of you know, the internet. It's, it's sometimes surprising for me as a priest, the number of times I have somebody turn up at the door and say, I was reading in a chat room about, um, or I was having an argument with somebody on the web about, um, and it's utterly random points of connection that will bring people to the practice of the faith. Um, stumbling across old leaflets would have been an older generational version of that, but that is, does still happen. Um, and one of the things with this is, in a sense, the randomness of it. That we can think of our programs that we might run in a parish or something, but actually often what brings people back are things almost beyond our control, but random bits of connections. Another reason people revert, um, I said, an impulse of grace. And again, this is something completely beyond our control, but that is very visible, even sometimes from the outside of people, that actually there's something of God that is pushing them, prodding them, that the reason they are somehow here today is an impulse of grace. Um, and again, this is a good thing, it's a hopeful thing, even if we can't program it in. So, what have I said? I've talked a little bit about why people leave, a little bit of some of the reasons why people return. Uh, in this book, when they come home, they consider the question, what are potential reverts like? So if we as a church are, in a sense, wanting to reach out to potential reverts, who are we reaching out to? What, what are those people like? 
And interestingly, in terms of sociology, they're just the same as all the other people outside the church. They're not really that different. Uh, so they say this, sociologically, returnees are a lot like converts. They are often children of parents who were themselves inactive Catholics. They are effectively unchurched. They were baptized, made their first Holy Communion. They self-identify as Catholic. They might tick the Catholic box on a form. And they sense their spiritual void. And if some opportunity prompts them, they may wish to fill this void. So that if we're wanting to reach out to potential reverts, a lot of what we're doing is the same as what we would do for potential converts. People that are largely unchurched are pretty similar in their outlook to people that once were churched and are now long, no longer churched. So to sum this up, the, the point of this, therefore evangelistic efforts to them, i.e. potential reverts, should be similar to those for converts. Um, they give a practical suggestion of things like um, simple updating courses for adults contacting the church to invite them um, along to. So for parents who want their children baptised, to have a programme in your parish that you can invite someone to if they're kind of stumbling across. That if, the, if someone does kind of stumble in on a day and we don't have anything to offer them, then they're just going to stumble out in all likelihood. Different question. What does a reversion process look like? And again, there isn't just one process, um, but there are certain commonalities. There's a very interesting point here. You don't need to look far to see a revert. Uh, a large part of the congregation is made up of reverts of one form or another. Remember, I gave this talk... Um, in my last parish, um, and at the end of the talk, um, a woman said, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, Father. This is utter, utter nonsense. There aren't, there aren't lots of reverts around. Um, and the very woman sat next to her was a revert, um, and who had not said, actually, I was lapsed for 20 years, um, but I knew that, um, and she didn't, I suppose, want to be... We don't always talk about things in our past. Um, so there are lots of people, no doubt here tonight, um, but in our congregation that are in this category. So you don't need to look far to see a product of this process. So what does the process look like? Well, I've suggested a few things here. An impulse of grace, because it's always God who's at work more than us. A desire for something more, even when what that more is might not be clear, might not be spelled out. There has to be, if there's going to be an end to the process, a deepening of knowledge of Christ and a deepening of knowledge of the faith and the church that connects us to Christ and a turning from past sin with the experience of forgiveness. That is, in everybody, what the process would have to look like. 
not just a church program, but an impulse of grace, a desire for something more, a knowledge of more, and some change in life with that. So how can we help that process? Well, the first thing is in terms of grace. So I have here an image of monstrance, our Lord exposed on the altar, somebody there in prayer, um, that what we can be doing is praying. So the book talks about, among other things, prayer, fasting, penance, the rosary, um, that we as a community need to be doing this to be calling down graces if an impulse of grace is an essential part of the revert process. So Sherry Riddell, in the book many of you are going to read, she talks about how each parish needs to have teams of intercessors. Um, and this does really bring with it the question of whether we believe in grace and whether we believe in the power of prayer. That our Lord talks about the power of prayer, the Lord tells us to pray, do we actually think something happens because we pray? Because in practice, we can often behave as if we didn't really believe it. But if we do, then it needs to be a kind of integrated part of what the parish does, that we pray. So, here's another cartoon. The opposite of... Yes, can you ask? Sadly, these scenarios are all too common. Um, <laughs> so if you can't read that writing on the back row, um, the whole church watched with nervous anticipation as the visitors sat where the Martins have sat for 42 years. <laughs> I remember in my last parish, somebody um, having... Walk, stormed out of church and leaving and walking down the street um, because someone had sat in his chair. Um, so if we're a welcoming church, then something of this phenomenon is the kind of thing we need to be continually correcting ourselves with. Because I, I have my favourite spot in the church, and it's not when I'm just sat in the front, obviously, um, but when I'm praying privately, um, you know, I get a little marked if somebody's put themselves there. <laughs> um, are we welcoming? Is this welcoming part of our culture? Um, these are images from my previous parish. Um, I don't know actually yet the names of who the regulars are in this congregation for regularly welcoming people at Mass, but my last parish... Um, we had photos up so you could know who the welcomers were. We actually had photos of everybody who did all the different jobs so that it's one way of being able, if you're not in the inner circle, of connecting with them. Um, so some planned form of a welcoming ministry and various degrees of developing that are an important part of the process of being able to welcome someone who might revert, but has at least turned up this day. Talked before, again, this is an image of my last church when we unlocked things. Still not got around to 
um, securing what needs to be secured <coughs> here so that we can do that here. But obviously, if you turn up to the church and what you encounter is a locked door, that's not very welcoming. They also talk, in terms of helping the process, of listening to people's grievances. So if someone's complaining about sister whoever, um, we need to listen. Um, and even if the, what the story they're giving is um, something we haven't got much patience for, um, actually we need to be patient listening, that this is, in a sense, justice to the person. Um, because we can often switch into a defensive role with the church and with the faith, that I want to defend why, we, why we're here and what it's right and, and whatever, rather than actually doing the person the justice of, of listening to them. Because if they don't feel listened to, the reasons we give probably won't amount to much. Different reason, or different help, um, combating ignorance. Um, and this is both in ourselves and in others. So if we're going to help others overcome their ignorance, well, we need also to overcome ignorance in ourselves. And that means we need to be reading about our faith on a regular basis. Um, sadly, for almost everyone in a typical congregation, you are more read about all kinds of things that have nothing to do with your religion than you are about your religion. That you might have, whatever stage you finished your schooling at is almost always beyond where you finished your religious education at. Whether it was First Holy Communion or Confirmation. Um, so it's only if we, in a sense, challenge ourselves on that and seek to read more so that we know more, we are less ignorant, that we're going to be able to be of any help to somebody else. Another little cartoon here. Um, you can't really, that's rather blurry on the bottom, but there's someone here enjoying a little boat and a beautiful um, Pacific sea, and they can't see the shark coming up behind them. Um, and it says, ignorance. Ignorance is bliss, right up until the last few seconds. Um, that people say ignorance is bliss, but it isn't really. Um, that the Lord says he's truth. He's the opposite of ignorance. Um, Thomas Jefferson famously said, if ignorance is bliss, why aren't more people happy? <laughs> so I'd um, got two specific books I'd suggest here. Um, one called, a book called Waking Up Catholic, um, a guide for, to Catholic beliefs for converts, reverts, and anyone becoming Catholic. But in my experience, there's also a great many of people who are at Mass every Sunday um, who've read this and found it useful. Um, books like that um, to be reading. Um, I think every Catholic should also have a copy of the Catechism. It's like having a dictionary somewhere in your house. You might not turn to it from cover <coughs> to cover, but the Catechism is an amazing compendium of wealth of teaching about what the saints say, about what scripture says, and all kinds of things. So if we're going to combat ignorance, 
um, sort of important book to have in our homes. And this is, in a sense, being ready for what um, Scripture says in 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is in you. Because we might be wandering around like a brain-dead Christian just with a lovely smile on our face, or do we actually have a reason why we're happy? a reason that we're able to offer to someone um, that this is what St. Peter is, is saying. Be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is in you. Um, I think I've referred to a couple of these books before, but this particular website, for those of you on the net, catholic.com, um, an amazing compendium of all kinds of different articles, um, biographies of saints, whatever else. Uh, easily accessible. Another way that we can help the process, um, linked in with what we talked about previous weeks about conversations and looking for various, what Sherry Waddell calls threshold conversation opportunities, is to look to create conversation opportunities. So if we know somebody's in this category, that they're lapsed, that they're kind of sometimes thinking about these things, to look to create an opportunity to talk about it. If we're always kind of a little awkward ourselves and dodging those opportunities, well, then we're doing the, the reverse. But to look to create such opportunities in conversation. And this is a, a recap of the six um, conversation tips um, that we looked at from Pope Francis and Evangelii Gaudium. So if you're, what I'm saying here is the same six steps he's saying with a general non-believer would hold as six steps to go through with a potential revert. To listen to them, to stay on message with what we know we want to say, to not get diverted by some peripheral thing, but what is the core of the message of our faith in the Lord introduce God's word, not just our opinion, but what scripture says, God's word, to speak to them in that person's language, not to just use the jargon um, we can use in church, um, to offer reasons for the credibility of the gospel, so that's coming back to that thing I've said before about having an answer ready for the hope in you, um, and Pope Francis suggests to close in prayer um, when appropriate. Now, something to do for a community, like a parish, um, is to <coughs> create a group for reverting Catholics to join. And a group like this aims, as I said there, to ease them into Catholic life, to give them a, a sub-community within the parish to feel at home in, and to give them a place where they can deepen their knowledge of the faith and deepen their devotion to the Lord. And there are all kinds of courses and programs that exist for this. Um, so sometimes I get a little frustrated reading about these, that they'll have a parish of three or four thousand people, and they'll have within three or four thousand people obviously lots of groups happening. When you, the smaller your parish is, the harder it is to have an ongoing stable group that is in a sense just for this category. 
But nonetheless, this is one of the things we could be seeking to do as a parish. Um, listed here a name, uh, sorry, some names of some of the groups. Um, so the various American programs, one called Catholics Coming Home, another called Catholics Returning Home, another called Come Home, um, and another popular one called Landings. Um, so Catholics Come Home is in that book there. Um, but we could, as a, a parish, look at one of these programs and seek to um, launch it here. So, a summary of what I've been saying there. How do we help the process of people reverting? Um, we need to have grace, so we need, therefore, teams of intercessors to pray to call down the Lord's grace. We need to be welcoming in all <coughs> kinds of different things in our parish activities. We need to listen to people's grievances if they've got them, which a good number do. We need to combat ignorance, both in ourselves and in others, to create opportunities for conversation and uh, potentially things like a group for reverting Catholics. So I've talked about why people lapse, why people return, and what we can do to help in that process. <laughs>